0: If you've spent any time online, you've seen internet-famous people talk about the products and services they love. It's just how things are done these days. Well, coming up, we'll hear how Atlanta-based Sidekick listens to big brands and influencers and builds tools to help them do business.
1: This is Design Driven, the podcast about using design thinking to build great products and lasting companies. Whether you're running a startup or trying something new inside of Fortune 1000, the tools, methods, and insights we talk about will help you create things people love. Design Driven is brought to you by Nine Labs, guiding innovators and product teams through executing their vision. Find out more at Ninelabs.com. And now, your host, Jay Cornelius. Hey,
0: everybody. Thanks for listening today. I'm excited because we've got Jeremy Hale. He is the founder and CEO of Sidekick, fellow Atlanta entrepreneur uh, on the show today, and he's going to talk to us a little bit about what's going on over at Sidekick. Hey, Jeremy, what's going on?
2: Hey, Jay. Excited to be on the show. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for joining us. So um, talk a little bit about Sidekick and why you started it, how you got there, a little bit about your background. Tell us what's, what's happening in your world.
2: Sure. Um, so, Sidekick's an influencer marketing platform for brands. Um, basically, we help marketers get attention around their products and services. Um, I think we've seen, you know, especially over um, the past few years, you know how important uh, you know, social media, friend recommendation, reviews have come to, to driving people's purchasing decisions. Um, and so, we built out a technology platform that handles all aspects of influencer marketing from identifying the best influencers to managing the relationships or, and most importantly, being able to, you know, put a value on you know what that's worth to the brand.
0: Well, that's pretty interesting. So um, who is your typical customer? Who's using the tool?
2: Yeah, typically it's a consumer brand, um, more enterprise. So, you know, brands like Coca-Cola, NVIDIA, Logitech, CBS, those type of, uh, type of companies.
0: All right. And so, the person inside that company that's going to be paying attention to that kind of thing, are they like a social media marketer or are they uh, like a marketing director? Like, who, Who's using it?
2: Yeah, um, typically um, the person who's going to be interested is going to be the VP or director of marketing, um, kind of that level. And then typically the day-to-day user is going to be um, somebody on the social media team or the, the PR team.
0: Very nice. And, and so how long does SidePick get around?
2: Uh, we've been around about four years. Um, you know, my, my background is actually in software engineering. I'm a Georgia Tech computer science grad. I've been working in really in the social media technology space for about twelve years, um, and then started this company about four years ago.
0: Very nice. I think I remember seeing you pitch Sidekick at one of the events around Atlanta a couple of years ago. And it's, it's nice to see um, nice to see you keep growing the business and and things working out for you. So what? Um, when you think about the core of the tool and the problem that it's trying to solve, how do you go about deciding, like making product decisions about what to add or, or how to tweak things to make it more valuable for your users?
2: Yeah, we have a very, it's very customer driven for us, right? I mean, we certainly we're looking at, you know, we're taking that feedback um, from really, you know the sales arena, right, what people are looking for on the sales side, the prospects we're talking to, Um, but a lot of it's driven by our existing customers, Um, and we try to take actually a pretty analytical uh, view of that. So we have an internal spreadsheet that we use to track um, the the most common requests we get from customers and the most common problems that they express, Um, and then we rank that both in terms of the priority and, and kind of how... Uh, intensely that customer seems uh, how big of a problem that seems to be for that customer. And then also by, you know, frankly, the, you know, how big of a customer that is for us and how important they are. And we end up assigning kind of numerical values to all the different things that are on our roadmap to help us prioritize and think about what, you know, what to build next.
0: Interesting. So instead of um, some sophisticated tool for tracking all that, you reverted back to good old fashioned spreadsheet.
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, we do have, we have the tools like we use Pendo uh, to, to kind of track feature usage. Um, and we use uh, Intercom for customer interactions and, and, and do some tracking there. So, so there are some other tools that we use, but uh, when it comes down to kind of looking at the roadmap, yeah, we, we've kind of built some custom stuff out in a spreadsheet.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, sometimes that's the most efficient way, right, is, you know, use a lo-fi tool so you can keep track of things in a way that everyone can easily digest and understand.
2: Right. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, I I find found in past companies, especially that sometimes the big tools with all the fancy features end up, you know, you you spend more time managing the tool than you do. it just kind of getting at the data and what really matters.
0: Yeah, exactly. So you said something interesting about tracking a score for um, what becomes, I guess, that's how you prioritize what makes it onto the product roadmap. Can you talk about that scoring a little bit and what factors you look at and how that's calculated?
2: Yeah. So we're kind of looking at a few different things. So for each uh, each customer, we're looking at, you know, has that customer expressed a need um, or, you know, way indicated that that's a feature that's important to them and then how important it is. So we assign a numerical ranking of, of importance. Um, and then we also, you know, weight that importance based on, um, you know, essentially sort of what tier of, of customer that is, right? So the, the customers that, that are paying us more money or more critical to the business end up getting you know, weighted a little bit heavier um, than the smaller customers. And then we essentially add that up across all of the customers um, for that particular feature or, or change that they're looking for. Uh, and that way we can rank them.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So when you're, when you're talking to customers, how are you going about gathering this feedback? Is it like a form on the site or do you have like formal user studies or what are you
2: doing there? So um, we've been uh, pretty pretty hands on with our customers. I guess we have a few different tiers. So at the top tier, we've got a product advisory council um, of customers that are key customers for us, but also we try to diversify those across the different types of customers as well as, Markets, right? What what vertical they're in, um, so that we have a nice sampling of our different customer groups. Um, And so that's that's a group that we meet with on a regular basis, uh, at least quarterly. And that typically we meet um, at the you know kind of at the executive sponsor level or the the decision maker level there. Um, Then we also have regular meetings that we set up with um, most of our customers, where we meet with them on a a bi-monthly, I'm sorry, bi-weekly or monthly basis. Uh, and so we have a customer, you know, customer success managers that actually will meet with those customers on a regular basis and, and be proactive about gathering feedback. Uh, and then we also, of course, have some inbound mechanisms. So, you know, we use intercom that has a little question mark in the bottom right corner of the product. And if they ever have a question, you know, that, that's one that gets a lot of usage uh, where when customers are actually in the product stuck somewhere, they click on that and i will ask a question. So we get a lot of feedback through that mechanism as well.
0: Yeah, so it sounds like a pretty comprehensive view of how customers are using the product, what their pain points are, um, and, and what they would like to see from you to help them drive their business.
2: Right, exactly. I think another thing that we believe really important there is that um, we really try to integrate our engineers into the design process early, mm-hmm. so that includes having our engineers in meetings with customers. Um, I try to get our engineers into, you know, sales demos on a, on a pretty regular basis, but also into those customer feedback meetings. Um, so they're really, you know, seeing exactly what the pains the customers having, how they're using the product, and you know, sometimes we'll be surprised at you know uh, how they're using the product in a way that we we hadn't thought of. Uh, for example, uh, you know, we had reports that. Um, customers could run around a given campaign that they're running with influencers to measure, you know, what the uh, you know, engagement that drove, measure the, the dollar value, look at the ROI, um, and we actually found some customers were using that as their monthly reporting tool. So they're actually building one of these for each month and doing it. And that, you know, so seeing kind of how people creatively use the tools that you've given them can can often shape where we go. And I think having the engineers also helps make sure that. Um, you know, when we actually build new features for customers, they're much more aligned with the, the problems the customers are actually having.
0: Yeah, I think that's a, a critical point is keeping engineering and design and product all kind of integrated in that customer conversation so that everyone understands not just what to build, but why they're building it, right?
2: Right. You know, I've, I've seen time and time again, you know, where a product manager will, who's talking to the customer, will write out specs, um, they'll, they'll the d- design will mock it up hand it over to engineering, and when the feature comes out the back end, it doesn't actually meet the need or or kind of meet kind of the core piece that you're looking for in the beginning. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think the more that you have uh, the people building it kind of involved in the design process as well, it helps really cut down on that happening.
0: Yeah, I agree completely. And you may have seen this too. Um, How have you seen that affect the speed at which you can actually make changes to the app that, that provides some real value to the user?
2: Yeah, I think it. I think it accelerates it significantly. I also think that it increases the motivation of the engineering team. You know, I think when they feel, um, you know, very divorced from the customer and, and don't really understand the pain and how they're using it, uh, you know, that they're a lot less motivated. When then they when then they just walked out of a meeting with a customer and, and were like, "Wow, I, I saw that man. That uh, that that filtering didn't work the way that they thought it did, and that caused a lot of pain. I really want to go fix that now." Right. So I think right. it also plays into the motivation, which again, drives productivity and, and, and drives the speed to be able to make changes.
0: Yeah, because we have to remember that engineers are, are designers too. They're, they're problem solvers, like um, you might think about solving a visual design problem or a problem with the UI. Engineers are trying to solve problems too. And so the closer they can get to those problems, the better equipped they'll be at helping you solve them.
2: Right, Exactly.
0: So what kind of tools are you using in the, that discovery process and then through to maybe doing prototyping and then ultimately to, to get something new into the product? Are you using any kind of prototyping tools or any kind of um, uh, facilitation tools in those teams to help make sure that things get done more effectively?
2: Sure. Our, our central tool for just organizing work that we're doing is Trello. So um, we actually use Trello on all of our teams. So we have a, a sales Trello board, a marketing Trello board, uh, and the, the product team has a, a couple different Trello boards uh, that they use. Um, as far as when we're building out a feature, um, we'll typically sure. So the, you know, our as far as our product roadmap, that's where most of our feature development starts. Um, you know, inputs into that product roadmap and prioritization, obviously a lot of that comes from that customer spreadsheet I mentioned earlier. Um, but there's some other inputs, right? What, what we're hearing on the sales side, um, opportunities that we have in the pipeline. Um, integrations that customers need—all of that gets factored into the, the product roadmap. And then we have a product roadmap meeting once a month, where we look at, you know, what's the current state of the product roadmap? How are we tracking? Uh, do we need to make any alterations to that? Um, and so then, what happens is the uh, the design and development team will then start working on the things at the top of that product roadmap. Um, typically, uh, you know, we're not—you know—we're a pretty small team, so we're not too heavy on the process as, as far as writing out specs and all that. We typically go straight to uh, mock-ups, maybe with some notes around functionality. Um, so we'll go into Sketch, uh, XD, Envision, as I mentioned earlier, mock that out. Uh, then we'll have a review process. Uh, we like to include some of the customers that are on our product council on that as well. So get some feedback on that and make sure that we're not missing out key, key pieces of functionality or things that, that we could go ahead and address. Because I think, obviously, the earlier in that design process that you can address changes or recognize problems, you know, the cheaper it is to fix
0: yeah absolutely
2: then we'll move on to implementation so engineering will will uh, grab those cards using using the mocks to implement uh, implement the features Um, we go through a qa kind of demo process and then typically we'll do a limited release especially for a major new feature so um, we may release that only to internally at first uh, do a little more testing on production then we'll roll it out to a limited number of customers uh, get feedback, make sure if there's any other tweaking or, or things we need to do, and then we'll do a full release or we announce it out to our customer base. Um, the important thing I think is that at, that's not that's not where it ends, right, um, after that we look at adoption. So you know, then we're using tools like Pindo, uh, we use in Speclet, uh, which is kind of like uh, Full Story, where you uh, can see what the user is actually doing, how they're, you know, what they're clicking on, how they're using it, um, and we look at adoption to see are, you know, is that feature getting adopted.
0: Nice. So after you rolled it out, you want to go ahead and make sure that you could confirm that it's actually performing the way that you want it to.
2: Yeah, and I think you know there's there's a tendency among uh, teams to you know kind of want to keep pushing new features out the door, uh, and you know and sometimes you're pushing a new feature out the door and you didn't even get adoption on that last feature uh, that you know supposedly was higher priority. Um, so, you know, that, that that's kind of been our natural inclination as well. But um, we try to slow that down and not really consider a feature done until we see that the users are adopting it and getting value out of it. Because ultimately, that's why we spent time designing it and developing it.
0: Yeah, no, that's a super important point is you can spend weeks or months creating something. If you just throw it out the door and don't see if it works, then you've essentially wasted all that time.
2: Right, exactly. And we, you know, we also... Uh, you know part of that getting adoption is also communicating it out to customers so um, we sync of course to all the teams internally so that salespeople know about the new feature that they can use in sales calls uh, and then we'll send out an email to customers every time we have a new major feature explaining why that feature you know is important uh, and, and how to use it and, and kind of prompt them to go in and try it out and give us feedback on it as well
0: Right. You said something interesting a moment ago about uh, releasing things to subsets of users or to certain groups. How are you managing that? Just making sure that something goes out to some specific user group? Is that is that by geography or by user type or how does that work?
2: I think which users it goes out to depends. Typically, as I mentioned, since we're tracking kind of which customers care the most about which features, it'll t- tend to be the ones who Uh, We're more vocal about that feature. Uh, But but one concrete example is that we're uh, building out conversion tracking right now. Um, So being able to track, uh, you know, how many purchases did an influencer drive on your site or did they drive mobile downloads or whatever type of conversions um, that you're looking at for those influencers. And so we're mostly going to be talking to some of our e-commerce customers who want to track purchases from influencers and test it out with a few of those to make sure that we've got all the kinks worked out. Um, there was nothing that, you know, we, we overlooked that we've got the right metrics there. Uh, and once we, once we have a few customers that are like, Hey, this is really great. Then we'll do that broader release out to to the rest of the customers.
0: I see. So you've got a, you go back to the customers who maybe um, had the highest priority and asking for that type of feature to make sure that it works for them and then roll it out to everybody else.
2: Yeah. That's typically the process. Um, you know, we may also bring in some of the customers who we think that feature is relevant to that may not have been asking for it. Um, because that might be an opinion that now that we have something more visual, uh, or that they can actually get their hands on, they might have a lot more feedback on that. Uh, and that way we're not just listening to one group of customers around it. Um, right. but typically we focus on the ones who, who we know we're going to want to engage with it immediately and give us, give us feedback.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. So, so do you see, um, certain features or functionality being rolled out to a subset of customers and then that's it? Like it never makes it to another subset of customers because it's simply not applicable or is it everybody gets everything?
2: Well, so we do have mechanisms for rolling things out to only a subset. Typically we implement that as integrations in the product, right? Where you can go in and selectively enable it. Um, We do also have some features that we you know, they're, they're a little more specific to customers. Uh, they're really important for a few customers, but we don't see it as, as, as broadly applicable. So we'll just enable that on their account. Um, and typically we use the same, uh, same functionality to do that. So we have a feature flags built in, where on a per account basis, we can go in and, and enable certain features, and then that feature will show up in the product. So that's how we both do the rollout internally externally, and then if we want to limit that to a certain set of customers, we can use those feature flags to to really have fine-grained control over who sees a, a particular feature.
0: Yeah, very nice. So essentially, the app can almost be customized to a specific use case, depending on what is going to give that particular user the functionality that they need to do their job.
2: Right. And I think, you know, we try to limit Um, those, obviously we want to be focusing on features that drive value across as many customers as possible. So it's not, not our ideal that we're rolling out a feature that only applies to a, to a smaller handful of customers. But when those cases do happen, um, we, we have the ability to do that as well.
0: Yeah, of course. So what's next for sidekick? Like what's on the, um, what's on the roadmap? What do you foresee in the future?
2: Yeah, so you know, I think, first of all, I'm, I'm super excited just about the market we're in. I think you know, influencer marketing is kind of one of the most dynamic and impactful areas in marketing right now. And I think from a product perspective, one of the things we're really focusing on is, is we're a very data-driven product. So we're looking at data of millions of influencers around the globe, um, and then we've built a, a, you know, a system that uses natural language processing and machine learning to help us understand what they're talking about, who they're talking about it to. Um, but we've presented a lot of data, but what we're really focused on now is how do we take that data and turn that into more insights and, and be more proactive mm-hmm. about what data we show the user. Because um, something that I've heard, you know, over and over again from directors and VPs of marketing is that, you know, there's so much data out there in, in the marketing space, um, but there's not as much insights, right? So, so we try to really distinguish between how can we take a piece of data, and then pull out what's interesting around that data, or only pull up the data that is interesting to that particular customer and show it. So uh, we're actually currently reworking our dashboards and really coming at it from the perspective of what are the questions that the customer is asking, and how can we directly present answers to those questions?
0: And and maybe even predictively, right? Let's give you answers to something that you didn't know to ask yet.
2: Right, exactly. And, and we kind of look at predictive from two two standpoints. One is how can we predict the questions you're going to ask and show you the relevant information? For example, you know, we see you've got a campaign coming up around a certain area. How can we find and proactively show you influencers and, and content um, that will be relevant to that campaign? And also looking at predictively in terms of looking at the data and predicting how things are going to change. So what influencers are up and coming in your market or, You know, did we see that one of your competitors, uh, somebody just started talking about them, a really big influencer, just started talking about one of your competitors. Those types of insights are extremely valuable for brands. Yeah, no kidding.
0: So kind of coming back around full circle to um, talking to your customers, um, when you think about what Sidekick is doing, like, like how do you listen to them to try to get those insights for the way the market might be moving and Um, predicting the types of things that are going to bring value to them before they even know that it's going to be valuable.
2: Yeah, I think that's a good question. You know, one of the, you know, we just try to really stay in touch with um, the market trends. I mean, obviously we're looking at all the, you know, we're not just looking at the feedback we get from our customers and the campaigns that we're helping run. uh, But looking at the market generally, um, looking at what, you know, we do a lot of stuff on social. So looking at what's going on with Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, you know, what are the what are the trends that are going out there? And then also looking at what are other brands, especially trend-setting type brands, you know, what are they doing? Uh, what are our competitors doing? So just digging through all that information and keeping an eye on that and then trying to synthesize that as best we can in, in terms of where we see the trends going or where we see people uh, being really successful that maybe other people aren't doing and, and could kind of piggyback on to be successful there as well.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. So what have you seen recently that maybe surprised you or some trends that are, might be evolving that we should be paying attention to?
2: Well, you know, in the influencer space, I really see, you know, a lot more brands that are building longer term relationships with influencers. So rather than viewing it on a campaign by campaign basis, where maybe they're going to work with, you know, ten. YouTube stars for a month, um, you know, they're really looking at it as more of long-term relationships they're building, and I think that we're seeing that deliver a lot more value to customers because you've, you know, influencer marketing, unlike say advertising, you know, there's another person on the other end, they've got an audience on the other end, and so really building that relationship is key. Just like we talked about with the engineers being more vo- motivated, and influencers also going to create better content and be more motivated and feel more attachment to the brand if that's a long-term relationship and not just a short-term campaign.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. So, at what point does it go from being um, like an influencer marketing relationship to a full-blown like sponsorship, like like Jordan had with Nike for so many years? Like that was a very deep relationship and could be considered influencer marketing. So, at what point does it does that kind of twist or, or tip into a different type of relationship?
2: Yeah, we look at that really as a pipeline. So, you know, typically what we'll advise customers, and different customers want to do this different ways, um, but typically what we'll advise is to initially engage with somebody. Maybe, maybe it is a short-term engagement, right? Um, so one example of that would be that you could, send out a product to a group of influencers that maybe you identified through Psychic. So you identify some great influencers and surprise them, uh, what we call surprise and delight campaigns, um, where you send them out a product and then Psychic will just look and monitor and say, Hey, here's who talked about it. Here's how many times they posted about you Uh, here. You know, you can kind of see, Hey, who who was really excited? Who talked about it a lot? Who really loves, seemed like they love the product. We weren't paying them anything. We just sent them a gift. Um, Mm -hmm. And then we'll go, okay, the people who really talked about it and really loved it, let's start to build a deeper relationship with them. Maybe we do some type of paid campaign where, where, where we're paying them for something and then and then really start to develop that relationship over time. And then I think what happens is when they see those relationships that both feel like a good fit from a, you know their, their audience um, and the things they're talking about and also are producing results, that's where they end up going into an endorsement mode.
0: Yeah, so it sounds like Sidekick is more than just a digital platform, like you're really focused on helping to make that connection between brands and influencers, even if it's something that's a bit more organic than what you would get out of your algorithm.
2: Yeah, and I, th- I think that's one area that really distinguishes us from others in this space is that we take a really holistic view of it, right? Um, there's influencers in all kinds of areas other than just Instagram and YouTube, Um, So one example of that is we actually, one of our customers, NVIDIA, wanted to uh, monitor what people were talking about on forums. Because if you think about it, somebody goes onto a forum, they have a problem. That's a really influential time to suggest that, hey, you might want to purchase this product. It'll solve your problem. And yet most people aren't really looking at forums as influencer marketing. Um, You know, some influencer marketing takes off takes place offline. Um, So we really try to take as holistic a look as possible at influencer marketing and and how we can can view that. And I think that's also going to make us, you know, really help look towards the future and where things are heading as well, because, you know, the way things are today is certainly going to be different, you know, a year two years from now.
0: Yeah, and it changes pretty rapidly, right? It seems like every day there's some new trend or there's some other thing that we need to pay attention to to make sure that we're always ahead of that curve or we're always servicing customers in a way that is going to be valuable to them, right? So I think that's why really listening to people, not just taking surveys, but like really listening to them um, the way that you're doing is super important for not just product direction and strategy, but just to make sure that your company's going to stay afloat.
2: Yeah, we've you know we we do NPS surveys and we do um, you know we've done some user surveys, but nothing beats you know the face to face kind of conversation or sitting down with a customer and watching them use the product. Nothing beats that. And then you know if you can't do that, just getting them on the phone or getting them on a screen share, um, you know having video, being able to see their face um, makes such a difference uh, in getting that feedback. So as much as we can, we we try to have those types of interactions. Um, and I think. You know, the, other, the other part of kind of that looking to the future also needs to factor in in the design process, right? So that type of feedback needs to factor in on the product because we don't want to sort of pigeonhole our product into an area uh, that's not going to you know, be as applicable in the future. So we, we try to make sure those insights, uh, we're thinking through that in the design process as well.
0: Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. And, you know, as a CEO, you've got to pay attention to the impact of product in a lot of ways that maybe a product designer or a product manager wouldn't necessarily have to think about it. So as, as you um, are thinking back on the history of Sidekick and how you got to where you are now, uh, what would you say are a couple of things that you should have paid attention to earlier in how you developed the product or how you built culture around creating the product?
2: Yeah, so if, if I go back to the, the early days of Sidekick, you know, we started out more focused around businesses partnering with other businesses. And, you know, for a while, you know, so we were kind of helping them partner. And we noticed that a lot of the people they were partnering with were influencers. Um, but we were a little bit slow to adapt to that, right? So, you know, we would help them work with influencers, but we were also trying to help them with business partnerships. And so, you know, things really, really uh, changed for us when we really started listening to what they needed uh, and, and really helped them with influencers and especially, you know, the discovery aspect of influencers. Cause, cause that's where it all starts for anybody who's trying to do this is I have there's millions of people out there. Where do I begin? Who do I even talk to? Um, and so I think, you know, we, obviously we, we did adapt to that. Um, but we could have adapted a little bit quicker.
0: So really just listening to that market in a little bit more detail
2: early on. And I think that's one of the reasons that we try to take a pretty analytical approach today is so that, you know, it's easy to kind of get pulled one way or the other way uh, with, with every piece of feedback you hear. Um, but having some framework for thinking about that feedback so that uh, so that you can take a more you know, analytical measured look at it in order to make good, good business decisions.
0: Right, so kind of removing the gut feeling from it and making sure that uh, what you're doing is driven by real data and can be supported by uh, market research and, and stuff you can actually point to and defend that decision later
2: on. Right, exactly. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Man, good stuff. Um, really appreciate you coming on the show today. I know we're running short on time, so I want to let you get back to to doing your thing at Sidekick. Um, thanks again for coming on the show. If somebody wants to reach out to you and learn more about the company or learn more about you, kind of get a little bit more of your input, what's the best way for them to get in touch?
2: Sure. My my Twitter handle is J Hale. it's J-H-A-I-L-E, or you can email me at jeremy at Sidekick.com.
0: Awesome. Well, thanks again for being on the show, Jeremy. We look forward to having you again.
2: Awesome. Thanks, Jay.
1: That's it for today. Design Driven is brought to you by Nine Labs, guiding innovators and product teams through executing their vision. Find out how they can help improve your digital products at ninelabs.com. Have comments, questions, or an idea you'd like us to cover? Point your browser to designdriven.biz and click Contact Us at the top of your screen. We'd love to hear from you. Tell your friends and colleagues about the Design Driven pod. Post on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, or send them an email. And tell them to go to designdriven.biz or wherever they find their podcasts. Until next time, remember what Thomas Watson, founder of IBM, said, good design is good business.